I wasn't really excited about last week's message because I knew it wasn't going to go very far. It was just going to be more, hey, this is confusing. (laughs) But I wanted to show you why it's so confusing. Um, I, as you know, absolutely love the festivals. I love the, the meaning. You know, Colossians tells us that these are... the uh, foreshadowing a shadow of what is to come but the substances of christ now what's interesting about that is a shadow of what is to come notice it doesn't say a shadow of what was going to come meaning it's done but a shadow of what is to come meaning we're still waiting for the shadow to be fulfilled and so it has so much more than what modern-day Christianity understands. As I mentioned earlier, you cannot understand the book of Revelation without understanding these festivals. And I think from here on out in Revelation, you're going to start seeing more of that. And I'm going to kind of focus on that, and we're going to punch in some of these things in Revelation, because as I said last week, Revelation... I've done the same thing growing up. We think there's a seven-year tribulation. That's it. I don't think that's the case. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But even with the seven-year tribulation, do you know what that means? You have seven Feast of Tabernacles, seven Days of Atonement, seven Passovers, seven Pentecosts, or Shavuots. You've got seven of each of these feasts taking place. Do you think that possibly that those are going to be the focus of so much of what's going on in the book of Revelation? Why you're going to see that, wow, this seems to fit uh, fit the Feast of Trumpets, but so does this five chapters later. Maybe that's why. I'm not convinced that it is as cut and dry as we have made it in the church. Again, I don't have all the answers, but I feel like we're able to peek up over the edge of the ridge and see all of this beauty that we can take in and try and focus on and explore. And that's kind of where I'm I'm hoping to take you here tonight. Now, before we get into the Feast of Trumpets, uh, I was reading some things here in regards to the Sabbath, and I just thought it was so beautiful because we talk about this a lot how important this day is. Because just as God worked six days and rested on the seventh, we're supposed to focus on this day of rest. But we also need to remember we're supposed to work six days. And there's a Jewish saying that basically says this, he who prepares on Friday or who prepares on the preparation day eats on the Sabbath. But if you do not prepare on preparation day, what will you eat on Sabbath? And the idea is, is that in a Jewish household, you take so much time and effort on Friday to make sure you're ready for Saturday so that you don't have to do anything. It's called preparation day for that reason. And so as you're preparing, it's a lot of work, but it pays off. It pays off wonderfully because then on Saturday, it is the most glorious day of the week. If you don't prepare, 
the rest of the weekend on Friday, eh, it's okay. And so it pays off. But we have to remember what this is a picture of. The Jews even see that Sabbath rest as that millennial reign, that time the Messiah is supposed to come back. The same principle applies. These six days then is our daily, our, our life until that time. And if you prepare in your days of preparation now, it's going to pay off when the Sabbath rest comes. And I like that because that's kind of what I was saying to you here a few weeks back about how God has given us this life as a gift because he's giving you an opportunity to build a kingdom there in heaven. Because what you do now will be rewarded in heaven. You will see that so plainly in scripture. And so as we look at our day-to-day -day week, that is a model of our life. What are you doing to prepare for your Sabbath rest? Not only on a weekly basis so that you can enjoy it, but as a life. And believe it or not, the Feast of Trumpets kind of ties into that as well. Because the Feast of Trumpets is where you are now going to be rewarded for your days of preparation. You might, if you would go downtown in Jerusalem, to the Jews even, and say, are you going to celebrate Yom Teruah, Feast of Trumpets? They'd probably look at you and go, what are you talking about? They don't really call it Yom Teruah. It's what the Bible calls it. They will call this Rosh Hashanah. Rosh is the word for head, ha, the, shana, year, head of the year. So this is the Jewish New Year. However, there is nowhere in the entire Bible that it is called Rosh Hashanah. Matter of fact, nowhere in the entire Bible is even this time even said it's the head of the year. And the head of the year is more towards Passover. Before Passover, it's the first month. This is the seventh month, the month of Tishri, when Yom Teruah is celebrated. The whole idea of this being the head of the year seems to have come out of Babylon. And so, for what it's worth, it's Yom Teruah, not Rosh Hashanah. Now, there are three fall feasts. I've mentioned this before, that if the spring feasts all pointed to Jesus, where Passover, Jesus rose from, or, uh, died on the cross, First fruits, he rose from the dead, and Shavuot or Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given. It stands to reason that if the spring feasts are so perfect, had such important meaning, the fall feasts will also do the same. And these, but basically these feasts, there were three of them where you were required to go to Jerusalem. And uh, we have like uh, Shavuot. And then trumpets here, they're going to go, this is going to bring you into the Day of Atonement and tabernacles, tabernacles. You were to tabernacle, which we'll talk about later um, when we get to that point. But these are times where they were, the, the Hebrew word is moedim or moed. 
And it literally means an appointed time, an appointed feast. And what it means is, is if you have an appointment with somebody, you're supposed to show up because there's something going on. All of the, these Moedim are appointed times because God has something going on on these times. And we need to remember that. So the most holiest days of the year in a Jewish household would be the Feast of Trumpets, what they would call Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement. Now, what are we to do? We'll talk about that here as far as trumpets, but ultimately you're supposed to make a lot of noise. You're supposed to blow the trumpets. You are supposed to make a shout. Because Yom Teruah, notice it's not called Yom de Shofar. You guys know the Shofar, the ram's horn. It's Teruah. A Teruah is a loud shout. It's different. It it's doesn't have to necessarily be a trumpet blowing, although it is commanded in, I think it's Numbers 10, to blow trumpets. This word teruah is used in other places as a shout. To lift up your voices, to cry out, to praise, is what's going on here. Numbers 15 says, One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you. Notice that there is one rule. One law for both the Jew and for the Gentile here. An ordinance, how long? Forever throughout your generations as you are, so shall the stranger be before the Lord. One law, one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you. This festival is not a Jewish festival. It is a biblical festival, the Lord's festival, and it is for you. And the rule for the law is also for the stranger who dwells with them. That's us. So just so that you get an idea of where we are on this, we have, this is a two-day holiday. The reason it's a two-day holiday is because sometimes they couldn't really agree necessarily or know when this day was going to actually occur. It is shrouded in all kinds of mystery. And just to make sure they didn't miss it, they basically would do it the second day to make sure they got it covered. Ultimately, it begins at the new moon. We do see that even in the days of Ezra, this was observed for two days in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 2 through 3. And then there's also a 30-day period prior to this called the uh, Teshuvah, which simply means repentance, that was supposed to lead you up to the Day of Atonement. Well, two trumpets and then the 10 days of awe. So you have a total of 40 days to the day from the first of Elul that month to the uh, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. There's 40 days. Now, Tishri 1, Tishri is the seventh month of the Jewish calendar, is when you have trumpets. 10 days later, you have atonement. Five days after that is when you have Tabernacle. So there are these 15 days of uh, really holiness that's going on. Now, Leviticus 23, verses 23 through 25, you can read a little bit more about this, but it talks about the blast of the shofar, and that's about it. That on this day, you're supposed to blow the shofar, blow the trumpet. Doesn't give you a whole lot. And it, it's to be a memorial, but a memorial of what? It doesn't tell us. Well, 
the very fact that this is shrouded in so much mystery and unknown is part of the beauty of it. Because the trumpets, we don't know when the trumpets are going to blow. We don't know when the Lord's going to return. And that is a big picture of what this feast is about. You just don't know. It's supposed to be a mystery. We're just supposed to always be ready. And that's the way it is for the Lord's return. We don't know when it's going to be. You have a general idea, but you're always supposed to be ready. And you're supposed to be preparing prior to this. Now, not everybody does the Elul 30-day thing. Um, it seems to be that the Sephardic Jews, which are the Jews that are from Spain and North Africa, they do more of the 30-day thing prior to that. And then the Ashkenaz Jews, which are more uh, Europe and a lot of them here in the United States, they all, they'll have the 10 days of awe in there. Regardless, we do know that there, those 10 days prior from trumpets to the Day of Atonement is called the 10 days of awe, and that is agreed upon, and that is a time where you are supposed to be not just repenting, but examining yourself, looking at your life and saying, is this a good thing? Do I need to, to clean up my life? Do I need to do this better? Do I need to stop doing that? Whatever. Um, what the Jews see happening on this day of Yom Teruah is that the gates of heaven are opened and books are read. Books that are recording your deeds, your works. And during those 10 days, while you are being judged and your works are being looked at and you're supposed to be examining them, at the end of those 10 days, you reach the Day of Atonement and you will be judged. So you have these 10 days to kind of, well, fix yourself. However, I do not, while there may be some aspect of this that this is salvational, meaning like Judgment Day, you're either going to heaven or hell. It isn't just that. This is also for the righteous people who are being judged so that on the Day of Judgment, it's not you're going to heaven or hell, but rather you're getting this reward or you're only getting this little reward. Now this is perfectly consistent with Scripture. As you will see in Revelation 20, books are going to be opened and the dead are judged according to their works. Over and over, we see in Scripture, it does tell us you will, will be rewarded according to what you have done. The parable of the talents. You invest, you know, you, you made ten, you get ten more. You, got, you invested five, you get five more. You buried your one, you get nothing. What you have give, is given to somebody else. We have 1 Corinthians 3 talking about we're all building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, some with wood, hay, and stubble, others with precious stones, gold and silver, precious stones, things like that. The fire of judgment will bring these things. You're going to go pass through the fire. If what you built on the foundation of Jesus survives because you built with gold, silver, and precious stones, you'll be rewarded. But if what you built does not survive because you built with wood, hay, and stubble, 
false doctrines and, and just you lived your life for you. Those things are going to burn up and you will not get rewarded. You'll be saved, but only as though escaping through the flames, it says in 1 Corinthians 3. I mean, I could go on and on showing you, you are going to be rewarded based on how you use your preparation day. So don't look at these 10 days of awe as just I'm in or out, but rather your works are being judged as in you are being evaluated. And so that's more of the, the picture that is being shown here for the believer. Don't get me wrong. There is an in and an out for the unbeliever here. At the end of those 10 days, they will be judged. And, and we'll see that. But when we see first, uh, Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, when it talks about the last trumpet, in a, in a, the trumpet's going to blow in a flash, your bodies are going to be changed. Do you know there's nowhere in Torah, nowhere in the entire Tanakh, the Old Testament, that I can find anything about a last trumpet? There's pictures like Jericho, you know, marching around the city and so on. But when it says, at the last trumpet, your bodies are going to be changed. Where are they getting that from then? Well, Paul, when he's writing this, you have to remember he's a Jew. He is very familiar with these festivals. He's done them his entire life. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. <clears throat> I think there is no question, in my mind anyway, that when Paul was writing that, he had the Feast of Trumpets in mind. Because it is the only festival that has a last trumpet. One hundred trumpets will blow during the Feast of Trumpets. Three sections, 33 blows in each section. And then there's a final one. So I think Paul, when he's writing these things... I think even when we're reading about it in Revelation, I think what we're talking about here is this festival of Yom Teruah. And I'll show you some examples. Revelation 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, by the way, We'll talk about this when we get to chapter 20, but these books that are open, that's going to judge the ungodly. And then another book is open, the book of life. If your name is in the book of life, you get to go into heaven. It's that simple. But it says, and the dead were judged according to their faith. No, according to their works. As James says, faith without works is dead. I am not preaching works righteousness here. I am preaching works matters. If you have faith, you will have works. If you do not have works, you do not have faith, period. They go hand in hand. It says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The ungodly will be punished according to their works. 
There might be, you know, those people who are really good people, but they don't believe in Jesus. They're still going to hell. They had a lot of good works, but they're still going to hell, but I think they are only going to receive a few blows. There's that parable which Jesus himself talked about. Those, some will be, have many blows and some will have few blows. What that looks like exactly, I don't know. I just know that the concept of rewards and punishments based on how you live your life is a reality biblically. No question about it. Revelation 4.1. And keep in mind here in that Revelation 20 verse, the Jews have believed that on Yom Teruah, the gates of heaven are opened and books are opened. Those books are then shut on Yom Kippur, 10 days later, because evaluating your works is over, now it's time to bring judgment. There will be judgment, and after the judgment is there, then you have tabernacles where you get to live with God. That's the outline. Revelation 4.1 says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. This is how it all started. Remember, we talked about that in the churches. It says, see, I stand at the door. I'm coming soon. I'm there at the door. And now, you know, behold, I'm at the door. I knock and then, boom, there's a door standing open. Could it be that that is one of the feasts of Teruah? Trumpets? Because what happens after chapter 4? Well, we see the Lord comes, and we're going to talk about this later. This is also a feast of coronation, (coughs) when kings would be coronated, when Jesus is supposed to come through the gates. We see the Lamb coming in to take his throne, getting ready to have judgment to take place. Well, that takes place ten days later in Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. So in Revelation 4, is it possible that this is the Feast of Trumpets and then 10 days later, you're going to have some of these? Now, by day, I don't even know what a day might mean. Could it mean each day is a year? I don't know. But the pattern, the outline, we don't have to have every detail, but I want you to see the big picture. 1 Corinthians 3.10, I kind of mentioned this, but I'll just read it. As a wise master builder, I've laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work. Of what sort it is. In anyone's work which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as though through the fire. He's saved because he has the foundation of Jesus. But if you work on preparation day, there's a reward on the Sabbath. You see, this is what the Sabbath is a picture of. That we've got an eternity of rest, and what you're doing now is going to determine how well you're prepared. So, we need to look at these days 
of Yom Teruah as an evaluation. Because keeping these festivals, as I'll say till my dying day, has nothing to do about salvation, but it's an investment in the gifts that God has given you. He gave you these feasts, these festivals, these Moedim, these appointed times, and now he says, I'm going to let you decide what you're going to do with it. Invest in the kingdom of God or live your life for the kingdom here on this earth. What you do will determine how you'll be rewarded. Matthew 25, then he who had received the one talent, I mentioned this as well, but just so that you see it, came and said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. God gave you this gift. You're just going to hide it and now go live your life? Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I can't, it's kind of a personal faith. I, I'm not going to stand up for truth. He says, look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. So you thought, or you, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. You should have invested the gifts God gave you for the kingdom of God. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have a, an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, investing, our works matter. 2 Kings 8.1, I want to kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about these seven years. I am not saying that there won't be a seven-year period in Revelation. There has to be. I just don't know if it's just one. We get that, as I said last week, from Daniel. Daniel says that there is going to be, there's these 70 weeks. 62 are divided up into a section seven into a section, and then one. And everybody has said this one is for end times. I think that's probably right. But it says in this seven, in the midst of the seven, the Antichrist comes and breaks a covenant that he had made. So the typical understanding is that the first three and a half years aren't going to be bad. The second three and a half years are hell on earth. As I said last week, I don't know where that fits in. I, I don't know. Maybe what everybody's teaching might be right. It's quite possible, but I don't want you to be locked in on that because it's possible it's not so straightforward. We know in 2 Kings 8.1, Elisha spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life, saying, Arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine. And furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. Seven is a number of completeness. This tribulation is often called the time of Jacob's trouble. It gets that name because of Jacob's trouble. Remember, Jacob went to Laban and he said, hey, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. He says, all right, you got to work, you know, seven years for me. Great, I'll do it. At the end of the seven years, finds out he got Leah instead. So he has to work another seven years to get what he wanted. Two seven-year periods. Joseph's famine. First, there were seven years of plenty. Then, seven years of famine. Two seven-year periods. Again, I don't know exactly what all of this means. All I know is that there's something more here. 
and it could be there. So could this be the seals for the seven, first seven years and maybe the trumpets for the next seven years? I don't know. All I know is that there's some patterns here that are interesting. Even David ruled outside of Jerusalem for seven years and six months. There's just interesting things there. I don't know what to do with it. I just am throwing it out there for you to think about. This is also called Yom Hadin, the Day of Judgment. Now, it is not Yom Kippur, which is really ultimately Judgment Day, because again, I think that is heaven and hell. Whereas these, de these days are judgment of looking at your works, examining yourself and seeing how you're investing. We see that at the end of this is when judgment is cast, you know, uh, Satan is cast into the lake of fire. After the trumpets, we, we get to Revelation 20 and he's thrown into the abyss. Um, uh, Pharaoh, after the famine and after all of these other, the troubles that they go through, Pharaoh is thrown into the Red Sea. There, there are patterns like that. Again, don't know what to do with all of it. Just want to throw it out there to let you look at it. But after Pharaoh is thrown into the Red Sea, what, where are the Israelites? Well, they're out in the wilderness still. They're not in their promised land, but God is a cloud protecting them. What do we see in Revelation? God is, in the millennial reign, there's still evil going on out there, but God is still their protection somehow. There's some kind of tabernacle, hoopah imagery that is being used. Exodus 19. When the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke by God, answering him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Sinai on top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. We see trumpets being blown at Mount Sinai when the commandments were given. Um, the trump, though, came from God. In Jericho, the Israelites sounded their trumpet when the walls came down, but there was a trumpet from God as well, just a shaking. When he blows... He comes down, just as he came down to meet with Moses, just as he came down to, to Jericho to cause the walls to come down. And so we should be preparing by keeping ourselves pure, just as they did at Mount Sinai. Before the trumpet, God says, for these days, you're to purify yourselves. Don't touch the mountain. Do all these things. Get ready. And that's what we are supposed to be doing. Interestingly, here in Zechariah 9, speaking of end times events, the Lord shall be seen over them and his arrow shall go forth as lightning and the Lord God shall blow the trumpet. That word there is not teruah, it's shofar, and shall go with the whirlwinds of the south. So we have these voices, these shouts, and then you've got shofars, so you have to make sense of those things as well. Well, again... I don't know how to make sense of all of that. All I know is that the imagery of trumpets, what we're seeing in Revelation is in the Old Testament, and it is certainly in this festival. And I would say there's enough biblical evidence to say that this is what we are getting ready for. This is what we are supposed to be celebrating as well as examining ourselves. Jewish tradition says that the Yom Teruah is the first court date for those with, uh, whose names are written in the book of life. 
Yom Kippur, 10 days later, that is the second court date, and that's the date for the ungodly. So it's kind of a last call, Yom Teruah, that those who have kind of gone astray during these 10 days can come back without consequence. But when Yom Kippur happens, it's too late. That day is judgment day, as what we would think of it. The rabbis have also taught that the resurrection is supposed to happen on trumpets. Well, that's interesting because that's exactly what it sounds like in 1 Corinthians 15, where in a flash and a twinkling of an eye, our bodies will be changed. And they'll teach you that the righteous will enter into a hoopah, the wedding canopy. And then the day of trouble, Jacob's trouble, occurs on earth while the righteous are in their hoopah, protected. Kind of much like in Exodus, God was bringing judgment upon the Israelites, the ungodly, but those that lived in Goshen, his people, he was a protection for them. We've talked about this. This seems to be the imagery we've seen in Revelation. After the seals were done, which as I've been saying, it seems like the seals are more man's judgment on man. After that, in chapter 7, we saw the 144,000 being sealed and protected. And then you see a whole group of people in, at Mount Zion, seemingly being protected in a hoopah, while judgment is going to be carried out outside of that. Is this the Feast of Trumpets that we're seeing going on? Maybe even getting close to then Judgment Day, which would be the vials. So I don't know if there's a seven-year period of the seals and then a seven-year period, or maybe the seven years includes all of it, or what? All I'm seeing for sure is the imagery of the festivals all throughout the book of Revelation. It's there. Um, as I said, you don't know when this is coming. They had people that were appointed to look for this new moon, just the sliver of the new moon, and when it came, they would herald it out from this high, well, the rooster crow. They would blow that trumpet. And they even had messengers then that would, this is how it's even written, would go to the four corners of the earth with this message of rejoicing and yelling and crying out. And it's interesting that that's exactly what we see here around chapter 7 of Revelation. We see the four corners and these messengers. Again, imagery that you lose without understanding these festivals. So, these are all things that we are seeing that this day is known for, shrouded in mystery, as I said, a hidden day it's called. And that's because nobody knew what day it was going to fall on. You'd be out working in your fields, and then when you heard that trumpet blow, you dropped your, your tools, you dropped everything, and you would go in, and you would begin to celebrate. Just like 
Jesus says the parable, two will be out working in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. All of this imagery. Now, the opening of gates, that is to allow someone to come in, not to keep them out. In Matthew 24, verses 27 and following, it says that right after the tribulation period, the sun and moon are darkened. And then in verse 31, you see a loud shout of a trumpet. Matthew 24, 42, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. This is exactly what they would do. They would keep watch and they were waiting and waiting for that voice. Just like in the parable of the, the, the wedding, there, uh, the virgins, the ten virgins. In the middle of the night, the cry went out. The shout goes out. Isaiah chapter 13 verses 9 and 11. See the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. Do you think maybe the godly are in Zion at this time? The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Just like in Matthew 24, if you go back and read that, that paralleled the seals, you see all these things happen and the sun, moon, and stars are darkened. And immediately after the distress of those days, we see after the sun and moon are darkened, the Lord comes back. That's the pattern in Isaiah 13. That's the pattern that we're seeing in Revelation. So, that timing is definitely something you need to keep an eye out for. That the sun and moon are darkened and then the sign of the Son of Man appears in heaven. Always. Old Testament and New. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun and moon will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. <coughs> well, Leviticus 23, 24 says, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, the first of Tishri, Yom Teruah, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. It's a memorial of blowing. So, a memorial of what? We don't know. That's one of the mysteries. Um, the other thing is, it's a Sabbath rest. So, trumpets is to be a Sabbath rest. Now, this is a special Sabbath rest. It's one that you can actually, uh, I believe this is a feast day where you can, you're, technically could cook food on that day because it's a celebration. It's not your one where you don't, you know, your regular Sabbath. But the point being is to be awake, to be watchful because you don't know the day or the hour. Here's Matthew 24, again, picking up in verse 30. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then... All the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect from the 
four winds. Any Jew reading this would have Yom Teruah in their mind. The trumpets blowing, gathering them from the four winds. And this is at the time the Lord comes back. That fits Corinthians and Thessalonians. Revelation 19, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on him was called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. When heaven is opened, it's opened so that the Lord comes to bring judgment. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had the name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with the robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So, when the door is opened, Christ is coming. This is a festival where the door is to be opened. Joel, we looked at Joel 2 here a couple weeks ago. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. When the Lord's coming back, there's a trumpet blowing. Okay, you get the idea here. It goes on, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like a garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness. Remember the locusts? That's the picture we're seeing. So can we attach then, possibly, these locusts to trumpets, these festivals? Verse 4, their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops they leap. The earth quakes before them. We talked about this before, but again, before could be a timing thing because the sun and moon are darkened after the tribulation period here. The heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark. When that happens, then the Lord comes and judgment takes place. So, in Jewish eschatology... The Day of Atonement is supposed to be after 6,000 years. That's when we celebrate. The gates of heaven are opened on Yom Teruah, closed on Yom Kippur, as I said before. And what we saw in Revelation 3 was there was a door standing open in heaven. Another interesting aspect here I want you to remember is just, again, trying to tie all of these festivals into what you're seeing. These have meaning, that they're foreshadowing something. They're, they're not done. That There's something there, and if we ignore them, you're going to miss out on it. Remember at Passover, what did God tell them to do when the destruction came? He said, go into your homes, lock your doors. As long as the blood is over the doorpost, the angel of death will pass over you. Right? Well, I'm going to show you a verse here in a moment. Isaiah says the same thing. What does he say? Go into your homes, hide yourselves for a little while until the wrath of God passes by. Every one of these things, even Passover, even the spring festivals, when we get to Revelation 19, you're going to see parallels completely from Revelation 19 all the way you know, through the Passover meal. So... I think the book of Revelation, I mean, you can attach festivals all the way through the thing. 
Psalm 24, verse 7 says, Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. This is the time of coronation. When kings were coronated, it was on Yom Teruah. Trumpets were blown, and the king would come into the gates, and that's the imagery that we're seeing here as well. That the glory of God is going to enter the city of Jerusalem. You might remember that as we talked about um, Jerusalem and the, the Golden Gates, the Eastern Gate, that it has been closed up because it is believed, because of Scripture, that when the Messiah returns, he's going to go through that gate. So they decided to put a cemetery in front of it to defile it and close it up, to keep the Messiah from being able to come through. And this is kind of the, the imagery that we see here. Psalm 118 says, Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go through them and I will praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. So, in essence, what you want to think about Yom Teruah is you're supposed to keep watch, lift up your heads, be ready. You're supposed to be examining yourself on this Sabbath rest and saying, what am I doing with my life? You're supposed to be getting ready because you know that gates of heaven have been opened. The king of glory is coming in, and those gates are soon going to be closed. The 11th hour is coming, and judgment is going to be passed out, and you will be rewarded for what you've done. The ungodly will be sent to hell and punished for what they have done. And not done. And at this time that our bodies will be in a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, be changed and the mortal will become immortal. These are all pictures of what takes place at this festival. Judgment, a king's coronation, the Lord coming back, he's going to be crowned king. Uh, a resurrection. And all shrouded in mystery. And so last week when I was making it so confusing about Revelation, my goal wasn't just to make it confusing, but it was to start steering you in another direction. Rather than just thinking about a seven-year period, I want you to start thinking about the Lord's festivals. Because they are what you need to be looking for. I think that that's going to be the answer in understanding what's going to be going on in Revelation is more of the festivals and what goes on in them than this mysterious seven-year thing. I, like I said, I believe that seven-year thing is there, but it's just not as simple as what we've made it. And so, if you've got seven years even, maybe more, but even those seven years, that's probably why you have Feast of Trumpet imagery in the seals, in the trumpets, 
after the trumpets because maybe it's going to be a repetitive type thing. I don't know, but I think you need to be watching for that. If you don't know the festivals, if you don't know what they do, if you don't know, you know what it stands for, how are you going to see that when you read Revelation? A door standing open just means, you know, somebody just opened up the door back there. It doesn't mean anything. But when you read that in connection with this, it means something. At a last trumpet, a last trumpet doesn't mean anything to you unless you at least know Revelation and that there are seven trumpets there. <coughs> and beyond that, <coughs> you've got Yom Teruah, where there was a last trumpet that was blown. It was the, uh, on the last day. And so Paul's mind would have been thinking about this. So I think ours should be too. But as long as we have this dual covenant theology, this, you know, this is for the Jews and not for us, and you ignore what Numbers said, that there is one rule, one law for both the foreigner and Israel, then you're going to miss it forever. So with that, I hope that gets you at least a little bit excited for the Feast of Trumpets. It's kind of a, a non-day oftentimes because really it's just one day and you just doesn't say much, doesn't say much in the Bible. I think what you're going to get out of, it, out of it is what you're going to put into it. Make it a day of rest. Make it a time of examining yourself and preparing, knowing there's a judgment day coming. Maybe it won't be this year. But you are to practice and rehearse for the appointed, the appointed time when it is going to be coming. And so I wanted to do this before we got there so that you had a little bit of time to be prepared for it. Um, so I'm going to get to my calendar thing here. We have this year of Yom Teruah is Monday, September 26th. So put that on your calendar. Monday, September 26th. And if you can, make that a day of rest. You can cook. It's supposed to be a time of uh, a shouting, rejoicing. Uh, if you have a trumpet, blow your trumpet. And think about these things that we've talked about. Okay, Monday, September 26th, then 10 days later, after those 10 days of awe, which there's no rules, nothing that you're supposed to be doing, it's just a matter of standing in awe. Stand in awe of God and examine, keep examining yourself because the doors are open. There's 10 days now for you to examine and to prepare. I wonder if those 10 days... If you recall, in one of the churches, there were these 10 days of persecution that were talked about. If that would not come to mind as well, some of me wonders if maybe that the seals could be 10 days of trouble where you're examining yourself and you're really, your flesh is being put into submission because this is man testing man. And then maybe... 
you get some of the other stuff. I, I don't know. Like I said, every time I think I get it figured out, there's a, a, a roadblock. It, it can't be exactly that nice and tidy because at the end of the seals, the sun and moon is darkened and then the Lord comes back. Is that the Lord coming back then to start this trumpet judgments? He comes back. It seems the most I can make sense. I'm not saying this is it, but just as an example of a pattern is your 10 days of awe is basically that man's trials. The Lord then comes back at the end of the seals, but not to put his feet on the earth, but rather to bring his people to Mount Zion. Then for the seven trumpets, we're on Mount Zion. There's a lot of other stuff going on out there. There's 144,000 Jews who have been sealed out there. You're going to have the two and a half witnesses, or two and a half, the two witnesses that come for the three and a half years. <laughs> yeah. And then at the end of that, we have the last trumpet, which means it is judgment day. And when Judgment Day occurs, we have the vials. And what happens with the vials? The ungodly, they get it all. You're going to, that leads you then to ultimately the uh, opening of the books. And so we see the books were opened on Yom Teruah, closed on Yom Teruah, or uh, uh, Yom Kippur. And then Judgment is cast out, Lake of Fire. And then the New Jerusalem, we get to reign for a thousand years. That's tabernacles, reigning with God. So I don't know. I, I can come up with about eight different scenarios. But that's an example of the type of thing, the way my mind is working. How do these festivals fit into the book of Revelation? And I think if you guys think that way, I think the Spirit will start guiding and showing you some of those possibilities, okay? So, um, with that, we will close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you again for your festivals, your days, your holy days, your appointed times, your Moedim. We ask that they would become something that are precious to us because they're precious to you and that we would understand them more that we would uh, be able to recognize them when they begin to unfold and that we would be able to teach others about this wonderful truth that you have given us. We love you and we just thank you for your word and giving us the freedom to be able to study it now. So let us make the best use of our time and let us prepare for the rest that is to come. Help us to uh, take advantage and to say no to this world, to reject the, the desires of this flesh, the, the calls of the world, and that we would set this time aside and that it would truly be special, uplifting, and God-glorifying. In your name we pray. Amen.